This episode of Because Money is brought to you by The Value of Simple. It's a course and a book created by John Robertson, and it teaches Canadians to manage their money. Listeners of this podcast will know that John has all the answers, and you can get access to those answers by going to valueofsimple.ca and signing up for his course. It's awesome. It's the thing that taught me how to invest back when I knew nothing about investing, and I can't recommend it more. And today we're staying in that world. We're talking about investing, specifically talking about robo-advisors, something that is still really new to the Canadian investing scene. And we wanted to take a look, uh, Sandy, John, and I sit around and talk about what they're doing well, what they're not doing so well, and how we would love to see them grow in the Canadian market and continue to fill this void that really exists between old school investing and what could be the future. So lots of taking some pot shots or oboe advises, but all done with love and respect, mainly. I hope you enjoy our conversation about what robo-advisors could really be doing better. Jeez, I don't even know what that is. Oh boy. <laughs> I feel so out of it. Okay, continue. I'll just take my two cups of tea, you know, I'm just sitting here. Two cups of tea. I'm just going to be prepared. I could have I could have brought three if I had had three hands. So true for so many things. Okay, let's stop talking about it now. <laughs> Oh man. So we're talking about uh, herbal advisors. We are. Or we're talking about what robo advisors could still be. And yeah, so, so it's probably important to start with first off, a very quick description of what like robo advisors are and are not. And are not. I really liked in the thing that you sent, which was like debunking both the term robo and the term advisor. I've heard the debunking of the term robo so often. It was just really like, it was great to just see somebody else being like, and they don't advise, not robots and not dispensing advice. Instead, <laughs> they are. Yeah, so it's, it's more like semi-automated portfolio management or online portfolio management where you go and they're going to give you a portfolio. So they're going to get your money invested for you. You're going to just have to be like, I have this sort of risk tolerance. And they'll be like, well, this sort of fits this portfolio or we custom designed a portfolio for you that fits that risk tolerance. And then you throw money at them and they get it invested. <laughs> and there's very little advice beyond that unless you specifically ask for more. And some of them say they'll provide some more advice. But even then, it's not quite the same as going to like a fee-for-service financial planner and getting an entire package done. Yeah, yeah. If and if the if the like w- the one end of the spectrum is paying for advice and just advice, nothing else, and then you've got I don't know what's the other end and not paying for advice and not getting any product somewhere. They're closer to the just product thing than they yeah. Just pure do it yourself. Grab a, a product and then invest in it all on your own with a discount brokerage account or whatever. So they're, they're sort of occupying that middle ground. And um, I suspect that we're going to say a lot of potentially negative things through this episode and, and things where we hope that they could do better. But to make it clear up front, you know, it is really nice that they exist and they yeah. are a good option for a lot of people. And of course, if you need to compare them, there's a tool up at autoinvest.ca um, which helps to get through the complexity, which is one of the things we're going to talk about is that complexity. And yeah. past listeners to this uh, podcast here might remember that John and I built that and we, it's not ours anymore. So I feel like I need to make that very clear. We don't, we're not, that's not a thing. We no, you, you birthed it into the world. And now it is, yeah. it is independent, not of people completely, but of no. you. It's moved <laughs> yeah. out of the house. You know, go forth. It's not even invited at Christmas. It's not even Easter. No, maybe Easter. Maybe Easter <laughs> for the ham. <laughs> I feel like we're making commentaries about what my children are going to be. <laughs> they can stay forever. I, <laughs> I think you made that jump all on your own. Honestly, <laughs> very clearly, <did. laughs> you jumped there. So we're talking about robo advisors. We're also talking about like in case people have seen ads, like it's wealth simple it's that's they add they advertise all over the place uh what are some of the other ones that people have heard of wealth bar nest wealth advisor modern advisor responsive portfolio iq 
the most smart portfolio, just wealth, and I'm probably missing somebody. But this, then, is the, this is the fun new yeah. game that we can play. I think the most smart folio. Oh, smart. smart! Did I call it smart polio? <laughs> that's a that's a different advisor. If they can call themselves robo advisors and it doesn't apply at all, why not call themselves smart polio? The words don't matter. <laughs> Nothing matters. It's twenty seventeen. So you guys both like robo advisors. I, it's not saying that I don't like robo advisors, but you guys are fans of the idea of the like what they're doing, but. Um, there's some disgruntlement as well. Like what, like the idea that they, they just, they've been, they're still new, right? Like you're talking about three years. Like when you wrote your book, John, you were saying that like, they didn't really exist. They didn't, they didn't exist when I wrote it. <laughs> and that yeah, was not long ago. launching that summer and fall. Yeah. Like as I'm sending the thing off to the printer, <laughs> they start cropping up and I'm like, oh, geez. No, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would have been yeah. nice to have included. <laughs> Well, look, none of us, so none of us, so it's really easy to sit back and say, ah, you're doing these things wrong. None of us started our own robo-advisor like that. Well, one of us had plans to and then didn't. <laughs> it's <laughs> not me. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so it's not, yeah. So, I mean, it's a really good um, caveat to begin with that I don't think anybody should say, ooh, oh, they're kind of down on robo-advisors. I mean, I yeah. just talk to people all the time and send them to robo-advisors and other things. So but, what's the problem? Is it the fact that they're over-promising and under-delivering? Well, is no, the look, fact that they haven't evolved the way you would ideally love them to evolve? <laughs> isn't that the problem with everything? Sense. No, no, it's not. It's There was a very obvious hole in the market for a specific kind of consumer. And that specific kind of consumer is like by orders of, like enormous amounts of orders of magnitude. That's the most common specific type of investor. Somebody who, you know, needs that rebalancing automatically, needs somebody to tell them what portfolio to buy, but it needs something systematic and needs it to be maybe not the thing that's available in their small town. So it has to be online and available everywhere, right? Like that was it. It's a big market, but yeah, the problems- Throw money at it too, like so that they yeah, don't yeah, have to manage yeah. it and all that. Like the sort of problem that they go to their bank branch advisor, advisor, and uh, try to solve where they're like, I need to get my money invested. And then yeah. how do I do that? And then they're paying all these embedded commissions for planning and advice that they don't really get. They're really just going in and getting a portfolio and then throwing money at it and paying relatively high retail markup to do it. And there should have been a better model. And they've come along and introduced that. Yeah. So the thing is, it was so obvious to us, it seemed like, which is why when they, like in the fall of 2014, the fact that these things actually existed in Canada was so exciting because we thought, oh, you can plug right into there. And they did. And that's great. And there's lots of room for improvement. And I hope that they do it. But the things that to me seemed really obvious in the fall of 2014, like you have the chance, you don't have legacy systems, you can redesign. Yes, you all have custodians that develop, like that send out the statements, but you could design the way that you tell clients what's going on in their portfolio. You can create all kinds of behavioral nudges that don't have to be really complex or anything, but like, and John's going to talk about like app, time on app pretty soon, I know, but like they had a real opportunity to design something that wasn't just, Hey, we're better than the banks. It was like, Hey, we're really actually good for you. And I, and I think that they've gone to price, which is fine. It's needed. And they've gone to online access. That's fine. It's needed, but they really skipped over. Well, I have some things to say about customer care, but they also really kind of skipped over client education in some ways and, and reporting, I think. But John, why don't you talk about, time on device. Yeah, a whole, whole bunch of things that we can talk about. Yeah, let's start with that. So these are, for the most part, startup companies mm. that are operating independently of um, major firms. And in some cases, they've picked up some investment, like Wellsimple has investments now from um, Power Financial. Uh, Nest Wealth ended up getting some investments coming in in partnership with National Bank. Now, but for um, and some of them started as sort of spinoffs from larger brokerage firms or uh, big branches, such as BMO's Portfolio or Questrade Portfolio IQ. And um, these other small startups, like they, they had sort of carte blanche to do all these things that we're going to talk about. But another thing is that when you're a startup, you need customers 
clients, people that you are going to be doing the investing for, but you also need investors to keep going at the beginning because you're not necessarily breaking even or making profit on the customers that are coming in unless you're following a bootstrap method, which is difficult. Um, so these companies all have mobile apps and they've really been pushing the mobile apps. Sign up on your smartphone. And, you know, to me, I have a BlackBerry. It's like ridiculous that I would want to do anything that on my BlackBerry like that when I could just do it on my computer when I get home. <laughs> Why would I sign up for this? I can sign up for it at home. They, they really push the smartphone stuff. That's, that's sign the tagline of BlackBerry. Don't do it on your BlackBerry. Just do it on your computer at home. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, other people have other smartphone devices, and apparently they like doing stuff like this on there. It's sort of bizarre to me, but this is one of the selling features of some of these companies and, and their offerings is that you can sign up on your smartphone and then install a smartphone app and then log into your brokerage account and see the progress of your portfolio, see the money going in, see it get invested every week as the automatic deductions come out. And that is great for user engagement. And user engagement is great for word of mouth, which helps them get more clients and grow faster. And to have a metric to show to their investors that they're doing something and making progress and that they can show relatively quickly um, as growing. But you know, they have this many users and they have this many users who are engaged and have the app installed and are using it. And um, one of the companies, and I won't name names here, um, has said on a number of occasions at you know, conferences and the like that a third of their users check their app and look at their portfolio daily. And this is insane. Don't do that. That's a bad investor behavior. There is nothing you can do to your automatically managed portfolio except panic when you're looking at it daily. You know, you can brag to your friends, you can talk about them. I know Sandy wants to jump in and then that helps spread the word about. This is great for the company. It's bad for the investor, Sandy. I can think of a really good, very, very pertinent reason to check in every single day. And it's because you requested a transfer and it's taken seven months to come in. <laughs> well, and then yes, there you go. It's not actually deposited anywhere. And so it's just sitting in cash for another couple of months. That to me is a very good reason to check. Otherwise, I'm totally with you. Don't check it every day. What a ridiculous metric. Yeah. And so um, they're learning and, and they're working some things out. But there is a bit of a conflict between using this technology for good or for awesome. So um, they could be using their smartphone apps to say, you know, here's some good investor behaviors. Hey, I noticed you checked in every five days. Relax. Hey, let's talk about what normal market returns are. Are you worried about this? Or, hey, is your transfer not going through? Is that why you're checking in so often? Here's our customer service line. You know, there's lots of things they could be doing that isn't. And I mean, it, again, this is not like, oh, they're terrible. They're not doing this. It's just in an ideal world, if I was seeing this, like, ideally done, I'd like to see it done more this way rather than the other way. Yeah. Um, they also had a cool little article a little while ago. Um, there was a bit of mar market disturbance about a year ago, and a number of these robo-advisor firms sent out an email to all their users saying like, hey, there's this stuff happening in the markets, relax, this is normal, um, you know, we're going to rebalance, whatever, um, which was sort of a neat thing because a lot of traditional portfolio managers aren't in touch with their clients like that. And it seemed like a really good customer service move and a really good investor education move. And what they found is that there was, for some users, a bit of a backfire effect where these people didn't know there's a market crash happening and the email alerted them to it. So now they're investigating some uh, technologies like uh, looking at uh, the users who are engaged and looking at it if they have the app open, then maybe send them the email explaining what's happening in the market this week. Uh, and the ones who aren't, they can continue to live in uh, benign neglect of their portfolio. Blissful ignorance. <laughs> God bless it. Do you think that that's something that, you know, they, they started up in Canada three years ago and it's, you know, it hasn't been a bad three years to check your market returns every day. Um, no, it's and been... so I wonder if that's something that, you know, because it's it's great business right now. It, and it's awesome if people can get excited about investing, especially if you're targeting, uh, you know, it's not all millennials. But, you know, if, if you're targeting people that are opening up a smart thing, smartphone and they get to watch their money grow every day and they can have this really concrete short term feedback 
that I invest, it grows, this is amazing. Which works great as long as there's a bull market that continues into all eternity. You know, we're basically paid off the U.S. national Which, debt now. Like, who knows what's the next stop? It's basically um, what's happened already. It's basically what's happened already. But it's 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 a dangerous game to play because at some point you have to pivot. But I do wonder whether that's something that they're like, okay, you know, these are not on these are not dumb people that run these companies. Whether they're like, you know, we'll start building that kind of thing in and start to kind of temper that when things and you see like blips of this already if there's a market blip then an email goes out and like if a bear market were to hit maybe then the education comes in because they're like oh now you need to know that this is normal and this is how you but you know why bother telling them before that if you're getting a lot of good things and everybody's happy it's not a great long-term plan it's just i wonder whether that's things are kind of working out in their advantage that strategy is working out for the short term quite well well i mean imagine opening up a company like a robo-advising company in March of 2008. <laughs> I don't think they would be, we'd have the, you know, nine or 15 or a thousand and seven different companies that we have now. If, if we were, you know, back in time and they had opened it just before a market crash. Cause and just, if you did, I'm sure education would be pretty high on their list of things to do they they'd be trying to educate people all the time you hear stock sales and you talk about how this is a great time to buy and about market peaks and valleys and like then you would have that conversation but it's it's um it's not it's not like that you know it's well and you know like so i have clients that i mean so i've been working with clients since 2013 and i have clients that i've said you know your current policy is not working for you it is too expensive and you are receiving nothing of value well, nothing to do with the funds themselves just you're not getting yeah. advice for what you're paying for right <clears throat> and this is i would take all of the blame squarely on myself i am sure that there are people that heard those words that i tried to say very much about like look it's just reducing your fees because right the less fees you pay the more of your money that goes in is actually invested I'm sure many of them heard those same words and out of their brains into their thoughts came, I'm going to earn a higher rate of return. I mean, I had a discussion with somebody today wanting to ask about robo-advisors and his main question was, well, what's the difference in rate of return between them? And he's not a dumb guy. It was a great conversation, but there is that feeling that well, it was the same thing when people were moving into passive investing four hmm. years ago, like a while they've been doing it for longer than that, obviously, but I'm going there because I want better returns. Well, no, I mean, yes, but no, not really in the short term at all. Yeah, and it's almost worse in some ways with some of the robo-advisors. Um, and again, it's not necessarily their fault, and it's a hard, hard, hard problem to solve. So again, I, I'm not trying to heap blame on them here. Just ideally, it could be done better, but not angry with them, um, which is just understanding for their clients what, market returns are like what volatility is like because there's a lot of people markets are super calm at the time of this recording like volatility is the lowest it has been in my entire lifetime hmm. and still people are coming on and going i lost five bucks today what is this i thought it was just like a savings account except instead of earning two percent i'd earn six percent because they projected this like nice really super smooth graph of what my returns would look like over time and it just went it's like that just perfectly smooth linear projection into the future and you know some people are not seeing that as oh we're just comparing all else being equal we're just comparing these two potential options um you know high fee investing versus low fee investing or whatever the particular graph is that they're showing um versus like this is what it's actually going to be like um and you know some more in, in investor education might be nice like you could sort of do it even as like every time you open the app you get a little like 15 second single card tidbit of information so then if you're checking it daily you're eventually going to get some information pushing through there like i'd love to see some of these ideas tested so and again it's not like i, I just i really just don't want the robo advisors and i don't think this is the case i just don't want them to rest on the laurel of we're better than the bank because in all honesty we know that there are people so investing are. in the bank that also think the same thing. It's just gonna go up. I just thought it was like a savings account. You showed me just a straight line. Like it's the same thing. It's just those people are paying way more for that kind of 
not great. Not a great set of expectations. Yeah. I think that I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little, a little full with the better than nothing excuse. Yeah. I, I think I've heard it just a bunch over the last three weeks in a bunch of different arenas. And it's like, it can be true. That's fair. That's fine. But is that the, like, do we stop there? Like, it just seems like, like that gets laid in and you're like, well, it's, but it is better than nothing. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's better than nothing, but it's, it's not great. Or there's a lot of space to go, or there's just like, why wouldn't you just want to make it better? This is better than nothing, but what's better than this? And if it doesn't exist, make this better. And, and not like, you don't have to be an altruistic hippie to want to do that. Like, I'm sure that there's a really compelling market plan for preparing your clients for a market crash, for a recession, for a dip. Because this strategy, like, that's really, it's, it's kind of scary what you're saying, John. Like, if, if you've got people that are seeing it and saying, oh, it went five, down $5, and they're expecting no risk savings account type returns for whatever reason, no matter what they've been told, like it hasn't sunk in that that's what they're doing. That's you're risking a real blowback, you know, and you're, you're, you're basically convincing some of these clients that really went away from investing with, for whatever reason, after 2008, just heard they have just had a bad idea of that whole market. And maybe you're tempting some of them back into the world, but if they don't understand what's going on, it's just, it's really dangerous for your business model. Yeah, on the flip side, that is one of the potential benefits to checking everything daily because you will see those really tiny movements that you should be ignoring. But if you didn't have any idea before, That's well, true. at least better than nothing, you're figuring out now, oh, there is volatility here. Now it's time to figure something out and start yeah. to understand this. Whereas, as Sandy was saying, like, there could be a lot of people with the traditional bank branch sales model that have the same ideas and just weren't able to check every day. And then when their annual statement came in, as long as you weren't in the middle of a huge bear market, each year you would see it generally go up. Yeah. And that's actually and then, a really yeah, cool important plan. As long as I only once a year, you have pretty good odds of being happy with what you see. That's true. And it, it, I think that it gives people, um, you know, beginner investors. I'm assuming that people who check often are beginner investors, which isn't probably all the case, but to give them a better chance uh, idea of what their risk profile actually is. You know, you do that risk survey that means really nothing to you, but if you're watching and you get a stress spike every time your thing goes down $5 and it's really bothering you and like you've just learned something really important about your relationship to risk that you can communicate to people better and maybe come up with a better portfolio investing long-term strategy option for yourself. I think we need to hook it up with like the iOS health information so that when you're logged in and you see dips and spikes, it can, it can correlate and say like, Whoa, I really noticed. I mean, it's a huge invasion of privacy and I would never ever sign up for it. <laughs> you know, and then a chat bot appears and it's like, you will do not have a high tolerance for risk. <laughs> Your phone just told us. So yeah, you, you can't override this. <laughs> You you have been transferred to a pure cash portfolio. Million dollar idea, right? There. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, are we starting a robo advisor? <laughs> <laughs> no. So I have a question about the we've kind of been talking about the robo half of it. Um, I've got a question about the advice half because I think that there's there is a bit of the same problem that we've complained about with banks before this idea of, of um, a difference in perception as what a consumer thinks that they're getting, that the guidance that they think that they're having access to. And honestly, what some of these companies are saying they do as far as offering planning, offering advice and what's been happening. So like, what's your perception of the robo advisors out there and how much actual help planning advice they can give people well when you say can um first off i just want to put up they can <laughs> like, they don't charge enough to be able to pay people hmm. and this part is not automated yet and is still probably several years from potentially being automated they don't charge enough to pay people to give advice to every client so if they 
sort of roll the dice and say, well, most clients aren't going to ask for the advice. We'll just offer it to all of them. And the ones that take it up, we can afford to pay for enough people to serve those. That can sort of work. But it's certainly not that everyone is going to get a high level of advice. And I have to say that any any of the ad <laughs> Any of the advice, so I've been able to kind of watch a couple of different processes um, from just working with clients who are working with robo-advisors, working with a robo-advisor myself, anecdotally, um, but the, hey, I wanted to ask them about X and they told me why, I have not been, I just haven't been, because the people who are going to, like looking for the kind of advice that I would normally give from a robo-advisor aren't talking to me about it. So I can't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I agree with John. I just can't imagine that they're able to. The only ones that have baked financial planning into their service offering specifically, like they've said, we offer financial planning or wealth bar. And I, ha I did speak with a client, oh, two months ago, I want to say, um, who had gone ultimately to wealth bar after we'd done a plan together and, and, and had them take over. Um, but I didn't like, again, I wasn't privy to the stuff that they told him. He said he was very happy. That's about all okay. I've got. Can yeah. I ask like, what, what uh, is that planning in the, or advice specifically, um, is that specifically just in the world of investing? Are they going to build you a retirement plan? Are they just going to help you specifically set up a portfolio? Like what, what, what factors are they taking into account? Like I, we come from a little bit the pure advice world. So we, 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 you know, it's, it's harder when you start layering different ideas in. So we come from the idea that, you know, you have to take in all the factors of somebody's life before you can offer advice on anything. I would imagine that when you're talking to an investment company about advice, that it specifically kind of starts with the idea that you're going to invest and like builds out advice around there. But like, what, do you have any sense of like what, what companies and robo-advisors are actually saying that they offer? Like, are they just saying, we'll help you set up a portfolio, we'll advise you what's best for your specific situation? Or are they building plans? Wealthbar says that they do financial planning. Um, other than that, nobody else says that specifically. Others say they give a measure of advice. So like if somebody says, hey, I want to retire at age 65 and I want to have X amount of dollars, I think most of them probably, it, and again, this is pure speculation, but I, I'll bet, if I had to bet, that they have some kind of calculator tool like they do with the bank, right? You go into the bank and you say, hey, I want to retire in 65 years, and I also need to buy some, I need to buy my RSP this year. The person sits down and says, how much do you want? Um, let's assume you're going to get the average amount of CPP. Let's assume that you're you know, going to get X rate of return and you're going to live till X date. And they just put that's this just time value of money calculations. So anybody can do them. And, and, and to go back to better than nothing, now that's, you know, obviously it depends on a lot of assumptions. Um, back of the envelope math can sometimes be really useful if you're not, yeah. if, you know, you might not want to pay $3,000 for somebody to give you essentially something very similar, just with a lot more work, like a lot more thought put into the assumptions yeah. of trying to come up with some specific numbers for CPP. That, that's true. So, um, yeah, so it might, and those people might get, you know, they might get encouraged to actually save at a rate that they might not otherwise have saved at. So, but I don't know that anybody is really saying that they look at, that they gather all the information and then they, they, they put together an actual plan based on all that data. So in the, in the ideal world, would you guys, like, how would you love to see them building out then? How would you love to see kind of the building out their offerings? Is it more about consumer education and kind of specifically taking up the reins of educating the marketplace on what the market is and what to expect and what they can expect from, you know, using this service and, and helping people better qualify risk and all that kind of stuff? Or is it really taking up a more, um, more full financial planning mantle and, and trying to replace some of the, the bank's offerings on that front. That, you've, you've suggested really good things. The thing, if I could pick one thing for them to invest in, it would be beefed up administration and customer support. Hmm. Like actually make sure that transfers happen and assign somebody to watch them until they do, you know? 
So um, in, in the world of like making them better, it's just like right now, it's not even about adding things. It's not about fulfilling either the robo or the advisor part of their title. It's not just doing the thing. more accurate. Just do better at what you're doing right now. Well, so I, I would even like pair it back. Like just take out, I mean, I know it's too late to try to change yeah. the robo advisor title, but take out the illusion of advice. Yeah. And say, so, you know, we don't answer questions like that. We assess your risk tolerance, put you in a portfolio, and then hook you up with a fee-for-service planner. I mean, maybe that can be a, you know, Wealth Simple or Wealthbar branded planner, but then charge transparently for the advice at a fair rate so they can get good advice and know that advice costs money beyond portfolio management. Yeah, it'd be nice to not see those two things conflated. That's true. Yeah. But for yeah. real, I mean, I talked a little bit about how, you know, they had this great opportunity and they didn't have any legacy stuff that they had to build into their plan. The thing about legacy stuff is that often legacy stuff is administrative support. So at the bank, you always know there's a Janice you can call in the back office to say like, hey, Janice, what's happening with my RSP transfer? And there's no Janice at, at any of the places. So... I <laughs> to come back to you need to invest in people the other stuff is great but you need to invest in your people and your systems i really really want somebody like janice to contact us and be like yes there is <laughs> shows what you know i There's want you to janice get called everywhere. out by a janice that works at wealth bar who's just like <laughs> actually sandy well actually i do work there okay here's and i extension. know what's happening and i know what's happening <laughs> smart alec so to you, Janice, I say, please do reach out and we just want more of you. <laughs> we would love your phone number because we love the Janices of the world. <laughs> They're my favorite. Okay. So it's, it's just, it's really just about doing the, I like, I, I totally agree with you, John. I, I think that it would be, people should not worry about doing all the things. You don't have to replace the banks. I think you're just going to fall in the same traps. If you try to become the bank, things are just going to get more expensive. The fees are going to have to come from somewhere. People aren't going to want to pay them. So you're not going to want to transparently tell them what they are. So you're going to start sneaking in weird backdoor stuff. You're still going to start building more and more complex tools so that you can justify the added expense. And before you know it, you're going to have another thing. Instead of building something that's simple and can support a low cost structure and connecting it to other things that exist in that same way, that feels way more forward economy than the old department store model of, of shopping. And you mentioned transparency of fees, and maybe this is a good segue into that. Um, the transparency of fees is not great. Really not. No. I mean, Sandy and I built, mostly Sandy, built auto invests and the spreadsheet that came before it because you can't just go to the websites and figure out how much it's going to cost because the fees are not transparent. They have their headline fee of what we charge as the robo-advisor firm. And then there's all the other charges that the back end will charge you. And, and you know, that's not us. Yeah, that's just the custodian. Fee. Yeah, but I mean, if the custodian's charging fees to the clients, if the underlying ETFs have management expense ratios, their own fees that are getting charged to the clients, I mean, you should be upfront about that. I'd love to see them have the all-in fee there. I mean, even if they padded their fee by a little bit to account for that and then include it all in one fee, um, that'd be great. And then it would be more transparent because, I mean, part of the problem with the industry is that it's not very transparent. Those MERs on those mutual funds at the bank branch are not well advertised. They're there in the disclosure documents, like somewhere if you know to look for them beside that little acronym MER but if you don't know what to look for then you know it's just another percentage on the page full of percentages and it would have been great like if you're creating a new model to be more transparent about that and I, I would just have loved them to have that and and I really like the idea of changing the model for things like flat fee advice versus percentage of assets under management and the other things that they can do but it's also just kind of crazy that it's like, yeah, you know, we're doing this whole new thing, but, and we only charge 0.4%. Oh, by the way, all the other fees are as big as our fee. That's a headline fee. Like what you're going to pay is almost double. And the thing is, so one of the reasons that we built the calculator and it wasn't mostly, I mean, part of, anyways, side, sidebar, different story. Um, but one of the reasons was, yeah, we looked at the website, couldn't figure it out. And then on top of that, we, I really wanted to know, this was a proxy for what client care was going to be like. 
I wanted to know what the response rate was when we asked questions like that. So like, how much does that cost all in? Well, do you do RDSPs? And lots of people had great response rates. That's the problem. Everybody had great response rates. But what they actually told us wasn't the whole story. And I don't think it was people trying to lie. It was just like, oh, you didn't actually ask me that directly. So I won't put it in there. So we, who are in contact with the back ends of these companies, well, some of them are real back ends, asking real questions that clearly we want to know. And still, sometimes we get an email from somebody saying like, hey, I just opened up my statement or whatever. And I found out that there's this fee being charged now. And we didn't know about it. Like that, come on. Let's, that's not even just being lazy about it. That's just like choosing to not tell people. That's a bummer. Yeah, it made me angry. Do you think that this is like, you know how in Europe they don't, they put the tax in the price, you know, the sticker price includes the tax and then they don't tip. Like tipping is so much of a less of a thing, but in North America, we try to get the price on the page as low as possible, but then there's all this other added stuff. Like it's across the board. You're like, Oh no, you have to add 13% tax. Oh, and also there's an 18% tip. And you're like, so it's, we're at like airline levels of terrible here in this industry, which is awful. Like the headline prices could be like half of what you end up paying. This is, crazy for a new industry that could be so much better and it's still not that expensive if you throw it all in there it's still super competitive right that's that's the thing too that like i just wonder whether if somebody was just really everybody's but everybody's like coming off as transparent that's the thing it's like they have the reputation of being transparent because they're better than the (laughs) and you're just like just because you're isn't transparent kind of an on-off switch? Ugh. Like either you're transparent or you're not. Like it's becoming a word like authentic. Mimi hates it. It's becoming word. opaque. Like she just thinks the word authentic is just the worst. It's just like some douchebag wearing a hat. And that's what authentic yeah. is. But like transparent's almost the same thing where it's just like you're either being transparent or you're not. Like is there a shade? Like there is gray here, but everything that's gray is not transparency or am i being ridiculous about that of course it's just it's it's such a it's such a thrown around word now like oh we're so transparent transparent pricing well do you mean that you wrote it down somewhere that's (laughs) trans because i don't i don't agree that that is transparent if somebody has listen if people have to build a calculator to figure out how much it costs to use your thing and it takes like multiple rounds of information (laughs) gathering to get it right like, it's not even like we went through the footnotes, the small print on the website, or like, like it's not there it's not in a there. lot of cases. Yeah. You've got to go through multiple pages, and even then it's not all on the website. Sometimes, like, some of these other little hidden keys are hidden. Mm-hmm. Not, not pleased. Not so, pleased. is that going to change? Like, it's not, right? <laughs> That's not, like, unless there's consumer pressure, why would that change? So that's the thing, I, I, naive, very naive. I thought they were going to like Elon Musk it. Like, okay, here's the gap in the market. We can build anything we want. Let's start from first principles and then build it backwards from there instead of, but, and, and I understand. I mean, look, there's, there's, you know, there's the securities commissions and there's the custodial structure. I mean, there's not like there's a 15,000 custodians to choose from. So there's a bunch of different structures that of course have constrained them and boxed them in, which right away they can't build something from scratch brand new totally different i understand but the when when the market was brand new and they could have they didn't uh, to whatever extent (laughs) barring what i just said um what is the incentive now so if there's not you know let's just say there's 11 different companies i don't don't even know there's 11 different companies and one of them says no we are totally transparent here's all of our fees some of them i'm sure are doing that right now i just now that i don't have the headache of that calculator i have no idea what they're doing or saying anymore and i couldn't be happier (laughs) i got i learned what i wanted to learn um but so like how what is the incentive to get so much visibly better that not people are not just saying oh i guess that's better than whatever it's, it's way better because I have to tell you, I'm not totally sure that the people who really need this service know that they need it and know that they deserve something better than what exists now. 
because they never did. They never knew that before. And I have to say, this is, this is a kind of a side bargain back to customer service, but the people that I have sent to robo advisors needed me to convince them that that was a better option. Not just, I didn't send them to just one. I mean, I always talk to people about, well, if it's like this, then this, here's the spectrum. This is what you could do. And here's what's involved. Fine. And they narrow it down and we talk together and then they go on to the one that they've chosen. Right. It takes a lot of emotional energy to move from, I didn't know I had a problem to now I'm moving to a thing I've never heard of. And if the very first thing that they experience there is, oh, I didn't know that that, oh, the transfer didn't go well, or they didn't call back after they said that they would. Those are the only hallmarks of, of um, like reliability that people know about. So average people who need this service know that they can go to their bank in person and see somebody to complain and get an answer and have the paperwork done and have Janice take care of it. And if the first thing that happens is none of that stuff happens, then what these robo-advisors are asking, the, the general population that needs them is, they're asking them to trust them, to trust us because we made a better thing and you should, you should appreciate that. And whether we, we didn't return a call or whether we didn't do the transfer right, you should still just appreciate that we made a better thing and it's better than the bank. And that to me, I, if that's already the attitude, and it, again, that's anecdotal, it's based on my experience with only a handful. I'm sure they're not all like that. I'm sure the ones that I'm talking about aren't like that all the time or most of the time. But the people that I spoke to are off of robo-advisors yeah. and that's a shame. And so I don't see the incentive to get radically transparent and radically better because the, the, the audience still thinks that as long as a Janice is there and they can walk into the branch that everything's fine. Well, maybe the audience, like we, we can't tell people that they're wrong for wanting what they want, right? Like if you want to talk to a person in person, then robo-advisor is probably not going to be great. Like if you're going to hang your hat on that, like that's, mm -hmm. there, there aren't, there isn't an option in that specific world for you. You know, it's, it's, it, that's just how it is. But I, I, I like, I like that a lot. We have a similar problem in the arts. I won't go into that whole thing, but it's just like, sometimes you think that the problem is the product. And, and a lot of the time is there's a, there's a communication issue and, and your ability to communicate constantly and, and to really treat people like people. And I think that's where the idea of a, like the robo part of robo advisors really works against them because people do think that it's really automated. And if they can't get a hold of the person, if they can't, you know, on the phone, they can't have a personal connection, they can't have a person to ask them, then it's so easy to write it off immediately as, you know, oh, this isn't the right fit for me. Yeah, although, I mean, if, again, this is the thing that robo-advisors always say. There's always a person. You can always get a person. If you, just like any other help service that we're all, most of us, I think, or anybody that uses on, you know, the internet now, we're used to looking for the chat button or the contact us or the help bar. So anybody that's not used to doing that, no, I agree. They, they really, sh this is probably not the service for them. Find steady. Yeah. Or something else, right? But um, we know what to expect from our online experience but it doesn't jive with what we also expect from our wealth services, financial industry experiences. Those two things, online things and banky type things, different set of expectations and or not, not totally, but the, again, the markers of reliability are different and you can hit all the markers of reliability for an online service, but you still have to hit all the mark like the markers for reliability of something where people are taking your maybe hundreds of thousand dollars and shuttling it around so that it's not appearing at the place you transferred it out from and it's not appearing at the place you transferred it in from and you don't know what's happening because Janice has it. So like there has to be some recognition that yes, you can call in and you can talk to the help desk, but they actually need to be able to tell you that, yep, this is what's happening. I will call you back when I see any change. You should expect this. It's normal. And then mm. actually call back and say, hey, I, I have a note to myself to check in with you. Here's the status so far. It's not that hard. It might cost okay. a little bit of man hours and organization, but that's what people really need. I, and I understand what you're saying. Also now. partly about setting expectations and meeting them. I mean, they could set the bar low because people just don't know when yeah, that transfer come in. And if your email says to them, hey, we're processing your transfer, expect this to take about two to three weeks, then yeah. people will not freak out on day seven when it still hasn't happened. So, you know, some tweaks there might help as well. 
No, that's that's interesting that there's kind of like an increased increased um, level of um, um, responsibility for somebody who's going to take thousands of your dollars. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right, John. And, and it, like clearly setting expectations it is it is difficult, but it's like because it's a scary thing. And I've I've um, we use Knightsbridge for currency transitions, and I have a bunch of clients. That, but like it's scary the first couple of times when you've like met this person online and they're really nice on the phone. I've always had really nice customer relations with Knightsbridge, but you're like, they just take the money out of your account. It's just gone for two or three days sometimes. And then they put it back. <laughs> but it's just like for clients that haven't experienced that before, you're like, okay, company on the internet. <laughs> now you have it. But like that expectation is set up really clearly. You know, you should wait three days. I've never had anybody kind of complain in a limited experience, but like you do need to spell it out really clearly because it's people's money. They worked for it. And I mean, Maybe. to use that, yeah, to use that specific <laughs> example, you know, you can't control often the receiving institution is not in control of any of the steps of the transfer up until yeah. the point where you actually can see it deposited to your account. So again, it's not like, you know, if in three weeks go by and the transfer is not done, you should definitely ditch this guy or this robo advisor or whatever. Yeah. But it would be, we all have the experience of calling whatever, someplace that you can't walk into, Amazon. You know, I've had great experiences receiving things from Amazon, but I have had to call and follow up on something and have a promise that it would be followed up on internally and then not be called when they said they would. I, I'm not going to ditch Amazon because, well, who's going to ditch Amazon? Really? Well, it just right. doesn't matter. Like, what, what are you going to ditch you? We need to do your shopping. Gravenhurst? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but that's it. You can't go there. You don't know their name. You know that more than one person works there. And maybe you don't even, they, nobody has a record of. So you always, like, when you called Bill, you used to write down there, like, what's your number? And how do I get a hold of you? And in how many days is this going to be a problem? If somebody says they're going to call you, they have to call you, especially when they're dealing with your money. The end. <laughs> to speak to a very specific example. Yeah, but but I think it, it kind of speaks kind of in a larger way about what you guys are talking about, about just how they can do better. You know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily about changing the underlying model. It's not changing what they're doing. It's not changing the, the need that they're fitting, but it's about really concentrating on some of the little things because the little things matter more. Things like, actual transparency, things like that kind of customer care and just real responsibility of setting up a new market, setting up expectation. So that market can grow because it's good for a big sector of Canadians. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. So it's just like, it's, it's, it's to say, <laughs> it's just, it's to say you can be better. You know, it's, it's yeah. not, none of this better than that, better than this, just better, period. Better. Yeah. You know. Oh. So um, we mentioned some of the fee complexity, and part of that comes from portfolio complexity. Mm. So these robo-advisors, they're not mutual fund firms. They're not offering an all-in-one fund. They're offering a portfolio of exchange-traded funds that they are um, having the custodian buy on your behalf from their direction. So these portfolios that they're setting up, all of them are way more complex than what I recommend in my book, what uh, Canadian Couch Potato has on his website, what Justin Mender has on his. Like most portfolios set up for human index investors have three, four, five funds. Yeah. And that's all you need to get like massive global diversification at really low cost. And actually going with smaller number of more diversified funds tends to get you lower fees. Most of the robo-advisors have funds, like some of them have five or six or seven. Most of them are seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve 10, 11, 12 exchange-traded funds in a portfolio, yeah. which is a fair number. And as they're slicing and dicing there, um, that tends to be increasing the underlying costs of those MERs because the smaller sector funds tend to be more expensive than the giant broad market funds. So if you're trying to slice into this portion of large cap U.S. equities and this portion of small cap equities and this portion of real estate investment trusts versus just one all market fund, each of those funds, first off, you have to manage three funds and all the rebalancing that that entails, et cetera. But then each of those funds tends to have a higher 
expense ratio for the fund itself than you would if you just went with the broad market fund that has like a five basis point fee. Um, so these complex portfolios also lead to other issues. Now, for the most part, complexity doesn't have a cost when it comes with a robo-advisor because the robo-advisor manages all the complexity in there. Yeah. That, that robotic part for the rebalancing of that takes care of it. And if you're in a TFSA, RSP, there's basically zero cost to having complexity in a robo-advisor. Um, it can lead to some marketing issues where is the complex portfolio really actually better for the advice for the individual? Um, or does it just create an air of sophistication for the robo-advisor? Yeah. You know, and, and I don't want to come down too strongly on one side of the debate or, or the other. Do it. I, I, I'm leaning towards a side that simple is better, even if you're not a human trying to manage it yourself. Mm. That, you know, the bigger, cheaper, broad market funds are probably better than trying to slice and dice these portfolios that some of the liberal advisors are doing. Um, and that it sort of gives this air of sophistication and mystery and like, look how much work we're doing for you when we're managing a portfolio of 12 ETFs. Whereas when, if they put up like a straight out of Canadian capital, uh, Canadian couch potatoes uh, website, three fund portfolio, people might say like, well, I can do that myself. So it sort of makes their value proposition look a bit better, but at the same time, is it really delivering value for people, especially if it ends up costing more? Is that extra cost of those underlying funds better? And so this is one part where the robo-advisors have been doing a bit better over, again, just a small number of years. Yeah. They've rejigged their portfolios a few times, going, moving, for the most part, to cheaper funds. Okay. Yeah. Um, because when some of them first launched, they were like just as expensive for certain levels of um, investor assets as something like tangerine. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and people are like, why do you still talk about tangerine in your book, in your course, when robo-advisors here? I'm like, well, until recently, some of them were just <laughs> as expensive because the underlying funds they were using were so expensive. Yeah. Now, I mentioned TFSA and RSP and RESP as well. These are registered accounts. Uh, complexity is basically free in there because you don't need to track and you don't need to report. So the only complexity you have to manage is actually making the trades and doing the rebalancing. If RoboAdvisor does that for you, the complexity on your end as the investor is basically free. Taxable accounts, non-registered accounts are a different story. Dun, dun, this dun. is an open question that I still don't have an answer to is whether or not the RoboAdvisors are going to do your tax reporting for you. Wait, because they don't know? I don't know. They say I, they will. Oh, yes. No, oh, yes. Not, they no. say they will in things like Reddit or other forums. Yeah. None of the websites that I've checked actually says as one of their deliverables, as one of the advantages of the product, that they will report your taxes for you, that they will do your adjusted cost base and give you like a template schedule three to put into your taxes. They don't commit to that on their own websites. Only when they're talking in forums and the question comes up. And even then, I ask real people who have real non-registered accounts with these companies, some of them who say, you know, the same ones that say in the forums that they do this, they can't find their Schedule 3 in their account set up. So again, I don't know if it's just that it's hidden. If it's a problem <laughs> it wouldn't be hidden. screen for those particular investor, because it's not like I have access to their account. It's a fun game. Them. Yeah, <laughs> find your tax reporting. If not, the CRA will come. Time yeah. on app. <laughs> and, and again, this might be like a question of the custodian issue like if the because the, the custodians don't like they just that's not a service any of the custodian brokers offer so if the custodian brokers don't offer it how are the robo advisors going to offer it like they have to build something on top of that to be able to do it and but so again there's questions of practicality there and at the same time if you're building a portfolio and you're getting people to automatically invest bi-weekly with like 10 or 12 funds talking like hundreds of transactions that you end up having to track at the end of the year that's the at that point it's like are you better off with a four fund portfolio and doing all the other work yourself because the tax tracking is not trivial no and especially if they're signing you up for like you said all that added complexity they're making your job tons harder that's that's a big thing potentially so, I mean, I've got zero reservation for a lot of investors recommending them if they're investing wholly within registered RSPs, TFSAs, RESPs. Yeah. 
and for a large number of investors, that is all they're investing in. Yeah, so it's just, for sure. just not a concern. But a few people have non-registered accounts, and I don't know the answer as to whether or not they're going to track the adjusted cost basis and report all of the realized gains for these people when tax time comes in a form that they can use conveniently. Is this another bet? Like, is this a bit like the advice bet? We're like, everybody won't ask for advice, so we can probably afford to do it. Just like, at this point, since it's such a small amount of their people, so like if anybody complains, maybe they can put it together, but to have the actual person power to like, I don't know, together that tax stuff. I, I can't definitively say that they don't, but I know that they're not committing to it on their website. Interesting. No, that's, so I don't know. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. Do better. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's yeah. That, that sophistication and complexity thing is, is such an interesting thing. Like selling yourself is, you know, it's simple for you, but it's hard for us. Oh, it's hard. We work hard. Like there's 12 of these and we're bound, we're snipping things and moving them. And it's just like, don't even worry about it. Like it's really cheap. It's transparent. Just give us the money. Like that's what the banks have been doing for a long time. It's, it's been working out fine for them. So why not? Maybe this, maybe all the robo advisors are like, Hey, you know, people don't like banks. So let's say we're not banks. We'll act like, we'll just act like the bank but we won't be banks and people will like us. Yeah. yeah. To, to be Lost fair, the banks do make a lot of money and I do not. So I'm listening to <laughs> our marketing things. Yeah, it's true. Of course, you're not one of six people that can do the thing you do. <laughs> so I think they have a leg up. <laughs> Actually with John, I'll bet you he is one of six people. I think he is, it's just that it's not legislated. <laughs> It's he just, just like doesn't the, issue dividends. Can, yeah, there it is. If you could do savings bonds, can we do that in our new <laughs> robo-advisor? <laughs> Be like John. <laughs> it, it is really interesting to me how it, like financial institutions just double down on the complexity of the products and then assume that the behavioral things are simple when <laughs> almost the reverse could be true in a lot of cases. You could make a collection of quite simple, straightforward products, even though there's complexity when you're talking about, you know, taxation is going to be complex to an issue. Insurance has complex issues, but things could be simpler there. And the thing that you provide two sentences about have natural complexities that will never be solved because of humans. Yeah, no, um, I think that that's really just funny. Mm -hmm. Not funny, haha. Ha. I'm happy to try launching a robo-advisor that flips it the other way around if someone wants to send me you know, $20 million to get it off the ground. Just wait, let me check my bank balance. And dreams, <laughs> new site, I don't know. Tangerine <laughs> <laughs> <Bandarine> burn. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You've killed us. So, yeah, so that's actually like, if you want something that's automated, Tangerine's actually like basically the proto robo advisor, the Ur robo advisor, because they've been around for years with their all-in-one funds. They make it super simple. They've only got four funds to choose from, so it like forces you to not stress over the exact splitting of your asset allocation. You're not splitting hairs there. They just divide it amongst four asset classes in four different ways, and off you go. And you know they charge more than pretty much all the robo-advisors do. Less than the banks. Less than most of the big bank funds, though. And if you have a taxable account, they do do the adjusted cost-based tracking for you because it's a fund structure. And rebalancing is not a realized gain when it happens. Whereas all these little rebalancing transactions where they have to sell something that's up to buy something that's down, that happened perhaps automatically. Um, for the most part, the robo-advisors attempt to um, achieve their rebalancing goals just with the new money added, but sometimes they do have to sell things. And whenever they do, realize that's a taxable event, whenever you realize that gain. Um, whereas when it happens within a single fund structure, that's not a realized gain. So for some people, like I'm like, if I don't know the answer about whether or not they're gonna do all this tracking for you, and I know for a lot of people, the tracking is that bridge too yeah. far for DIY. Go with a robo-advisor to save on some fees for your RSP and PFSA 
And then if you do have a non-registered account that you want to get investing, put it in Tangerine. I mean, paying a little more to go to Tangerine can be a good way to go. Also, really if you pay 1.07 at Tangerine, I would still send people to SteadyHand before I'd send them to Tangerine. Just well, and SteadyHand's another way to go. And same thing with the mutual fund structure. They're going to know your adjusted cost based and reported in your book value, whereas funny things happen with ETFs. Yeah, mm. yeah. Funny things happen with ETFs. That's, I feel like there's something... <laughs> There's a, there's a children's book there. I think that there's, there's like, the more you guys talk about it, I'm so, um, I'm so on board with the, the opportunity that these companies have to educate people. Like you just have these really great chances, especially with time on app, especially with the fact that people are use the weirdness that people are interacting with their thing all the time. I, I love your 10 second, 15 second, like, you know, Novity, and, and like some of these companies are getting really good at advertising and really making interesting materials and making interesting stuff. I would, I don't really know what, I don't know if that's good business for them. Like really if it's the best use of a resource allocation, but I, I think it's really interesting. It'd be so interesting to be able to kind of take snippets and teach them about taxable events. Oh, as I say it, I realize that most people won't find that interesting. But when it's your money, Maybe they will. Like when it's your money, you can say, hey, look, this just happened. This is what rebalancing means. This is your money. This is how we rebalanced it. That would be hard to do. But I bet that there's a way to do that in the kind of midterm. Um, yeah, at tax time, registered account, they could send out like, here's our little education site. Here's what's going to happen with some taxes. You're going to get and this T3 and from these you're going to have to go into your tax account here or take it to your accountant and I mean again as far as I'm aware they don't. It'd be lovely if they did. But It'd be a huge amount of value right there. It, it would be. It would, it'd be huge and back to transparency with these why can they be beat? Like isn't this the lowest like you're still talking about the robo advisors being the lowest cost way to deliver these kind of things right? So what's if you're, if you can't be beat by anybody, if you're offering the lowest cost thing, like everybody's working with, um, working with, uh, why have I forgotten the word? Not, cons um, custodians, custodians. Yeah. There it is. So it's just like, that's going to be an issue across the board. Yeah. So to some extent, I mean, you can see it from their perspective, which is they can't control that fee. So if the, if I shares, if Vanguard who has the ETFs under, under their portfolios, changes the management fees for their funds that's going to immediately affect their clients and then they have to communicate that whereas if they they don't include it as part of their fee then they just leave it up to the custodian or Vanguard to pass along that information and then the custodian could charge fees too that again they can't really control like the custodian could charge some weird trading fee or some weird like report generation fee or, but don't they select the custodian? there's not many to choose from there really isn't so it's, yeah. it's, it's, so yeah, so you're right. So if there's not many to choose from and there's 11 different robo advisors, why wouldn't you just say, look, this is how much it costs to invest with us. And I think actually one of them is some of them are still trying to find who their ideal people are. Like you can sit and say, yeah. these are our people. So this is what we've built our model around. Yeah. Um, and then realize that actually the people that are coming to us are these people. So we need to, and, and I think a lot of them are trying to shake out for the young, I don't why would you there's not loads of money there but I, I think it made the most marketing sense like I go for those young people but you know try to convince generations that don't have as much experience with this kind of model um to move their retirement funds over like i'm sure there's people that do that it's just that's that's a different kind of sell but yeah, um, i mean they could just say instead of like Oh, for this portion of your funds, it'll be half a percent and this portion, 0.4% and this portion, 0.3% or whatever their fee model is. They could just say 0.75% and then 0.65% and then 0.55% for those various tiers and then just eat the MERs and the various custodian fees within that and still come out basically where they are today, but then, then be like completely transparent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I guess the real question is, and I'm, I'm sure that they're trying to answer this, is whether there's value in disclosing that. You know, whether it yeah. moves them. Yeah, who cares about fees except for us nerds, right? Well, who knows? Like, who, 
I don't know. I don't know what, what consumers actually care about. But at the same time, a lot of the question, time, the question is, is that a lot? So, I mean, the question will come up a lot the same, whether it's, you know, 0.5, 0.4 or 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8, 0. 0.6. Like, well, and the thing that drives me crazy too is like fees in a vacuum, fees for what? <laughs> like, it, it has to be two things, right? Like you can't just talk about price. It's like, oh, it's $8. Like the question right after that is what's $8? That's a great price for a flight to Paris. It's a terrible price for a peanut, you know? Like, so it's like, what are you getting? Here's the fee, here's what you're getting, then can you make a decision? Like, it, it's, and, and the connection between those two things, and this is why the calculator was so valuable, because you could actually compare different companies, different models, different, over specific offerings, your money, and you could quantify it and say, this is what I'm getting. This is what I'm paying. Now I can make a decision. But other than that, like it's fees in a vacuum is, is a terrible name for a movie. <laughs> I would watch it. Fees in you a vacuum. Would. Absolutely. You would. I think that maybe you would be the one that would watch it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe isn't the right word there. John so. might give it five minutes, but I, it would be bad. He would probably turn it off <laughs> <laughs> or be starring in it. It is one of the two. <laughs> I'm here for that. I'm really here for that. <laughs> oh, man. All right. That's all we've got for you today. If you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and give us a really good rating. That really helps people find us. That would be awesome. And if you loved what you heard, why not check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash because money and lend us a little support so we can keep doing what we're doing. I am Chris Entz and you can find me over at rags to reasonable.com. I'd like to thank my partners in crime, Sandy Martin, who you can find at Spring Financial Planning, springplans.ca, and John Robertson, who you can find Value is Simple, or his blog, Blessed by the Potato, which is holypotato.net. <laughs>